0: When the church finds ways to be involved with those who've been shoved to the margins of our of our culture, it opens up our perspective on what's happening and how God's at work uh, in really important ways that keeps us from believing that everything we have is kind of our right or, you know, that we've somehow earned all of that to, to recognize the, the grace of God in our lives and, and then t- to challenge us
1: Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. We're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Today we have Dave Witt, a missional network developer for International Teams Canada, otherwise known as iTeams.
2: For the past 17 years, Dave has worked in partnership with a group of churches in Hamilton, Ontario, to develop the True City Network.
1: Dave and his wife, Allison, met while serving for 10 years as missionaries in the Philippines. They enjoy calling the ever-evolving diversity of Hamilton's North End home. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's good to be with you.
2: Yeah, thanks for being here, Dave. We appreciate your time, and we're looking forward to learning more about the True City Network and about the work that you're doing in Hamilton but we'd love to start with having you answer the question that we ask everybody. Would you please finish the sentence, poverty is?
0: Well, I was listening to some of the other podcasts, and I know I won't be the first one to to say this. But, um, I think it's been a fairly common theme. But my learning has been that poverty is, a, is primarily about uh, relational brokenness uh, mm. and One of my mentors in the Philippines would talk about the effect of that being helplessness and hopelessness Mm. Uh, and that that's but that that primarily takes takes shape in uh, the various broken relationships that characterize our our experience.
2: Great. Thanks.
1: So. Uh, Dave, would you share a bit with us about iTeams and your role with the organization? And then also, can you help us understand right from the get-go what is the difference between iTeams, True City, and uh, hmm. what is your role with those those projects? Sure.
0: So yeah, iTeams is an organization that's primarily working, at least the Canadian organization, primarily working uh, out of a transformational development perspective really looking at uh, how the gospel makes uh, a, a difference in the way that we live our lives and, and trying to take the best of development, but understanding it through a gospel lens. Kind of been a transition, I, um, just that I would identify myself as living for 10 years as a missionary in the Philippines, you know, just kind of speaks about some of the transition that our organization's been through as we've mm-hmm. come to understand some of the nature of the way that that you you engage another culture you make make a difference you know I spent 10 years in the Philippines working among the urban poor and just understanding what I brought that was beneficial and what I had to learn there um, mm-hmm. uh, really was was quite uh, transformational for for me personally and so my role now with the organization was trying to take some of what I learned in the Philippines from my Filipino brothers and sisters and see what that would look like in a Canadian urban context you know we we learned a lot about the way that the place where you live makes a difference um, mm-hmm. so uh, an understanding of, uh, how God's at work in a particular place, uh, and and how poverty takes different forms in different places. And so, yeah, the Canadian context is very different than the Philippine context, but most of, of what we've done here uh, has its roots in, in what we learned from uh, being missionaries in the Philippines.
2: I'd love it if you would expand on that a little bit more and just explain for us What was it like going from a ministry focus on urban poor communities in the Philippines to actually working in an urban Canadian context?
0: Yeah, so 10 years in the Philippines really saw a transition of what was happening for our organization at that time, where we moved from being a North American-led organization to a Philippine-led organization, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. and just understanding as foreigners, that we we came bearing gifts, but that that we weren't the best ones to know how those gifts could you know best be used in that in that context, and so mm. uh, as that transition took place, and it 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 was it wasn't always an easy transition. You know, there's mm. there's lots of challenge in in shifting those paradigms, but that our Filipino co-workers, those who came to be the leaders of the the ministry were able to to help us see the the context among the urban poor more through Filipino eyes. That's where we began to to learn the lessons of the relational nature of poverty and, and that it wasn't just Fixable, you know. I think uh, as you know, coming from North American context, we often came with with short-term fix-it kinds mm-hmm. of perspectives uh, right. and very task-oriented. If we could just get these these tasks done, that that will will solve the problem, um, or you know, just more simplistic perspectives on how the gospel fits into that. Yeah, you ask about that transition back to Canadian context. I think there's a story that I often tell that probably characterizes this most when my wife and I and our two sons moved back to Canada. We were at the time, you know, living on uh, an income that was below the low income cutoff in Canada. Um, Mm. And so just understanding that from a Canadian perspective, we were poor um, Mm. was, was disorienting. And then we were living in a, uh, on a, uh, in a community, in a neighborhood where there was significant challenge, uh, mm. poverty challenges. Uh, and our next door neighbors, you know, I came to learn that they actually had a uh, household income, you know, significantly more than ours, but that they were regularly dealing with, you know, huge, um, relational brokenness. And mm. one day their, their three-year-old son, you know, showed up on our front door at like seven thirty in the morning and, it was during the summer, but you know, just in shorts. You know, he's dirty. You know, it's not running down his nose. It looked very much like, you know, uh, someone we might have encountered in a Philippine squatter area. You know, a child there, and and it really brought home for me how poverty isn't primarily about how much money you're making, or you know, it it had to do with the fact that. There was marriage issues and um, multiple people moving in and out of the home and and um, you know uh, substance abuse issues and those kinds of things and mm-hmm. and so it really helped give us a paradigm that that you know in working among um, those uh, who've been pushed to the margins in the Canadian context you mm-hmm. you have to to think maybe in different ways than than secular poverty alleviation might initially give you, give you ideas about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And that really was going to be my next question is what does poverty alleviation work look like in your urban Canadian context? Cause it sounds like you're already hinting at there's maybe some unique considerations to be made.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things that I came to understand as we were transitioning here is, is that talking about people as poor just wasn't something that happened that often uh, in the Canadian context. Um, I was doing um, some research to try to help myself. You know, it was helping me understand it was a process towards a master's degree. And I was trying to compare and contrast poverty in the Philippines to what I was experiencing mm. here in Canada. I can remember interviewing a woman who was the director of one of the uh, social service agencies here in in hamilton and asking her what she felt who were the poor what did poverty look like and she she kind of turned on me and and pretty you know strongly said we don't refer to people as poor mm. here mm. as as taken aback as i was by that i was i was struck by you know, this was her way of protecting those that she cared deeply about who mm. she was working with because to refer to people as poor was such a shaming concept here. Mm, you know that right. that that somehow in the Canadian context, poverty is a moral issue, and if you're poor, somehow you're morally inferior. Or that's the, mm. that's kind of the the underlying implication often that's here. And so, I, I wouldn't say that term poverty alleviation is a term that gets used very often mm. uh, in an urban context. And for some good reasons because you don't want to be shaming of people and othering them Um, Mm -hmm. uh, but also because of the individualism i'd say that runs in our culture you there's no room for some of the systemic reasons that people might find themselves pushed to the margins Mm -hmm. Um, we just assume that well it must be their fault at some level and to avoid that we just you know try to not talk about being poor.
2: Hmm. Hmm. So I'm curious, Dave, what phrases, what terms do you use?
0: Oftentimes it's just a moving away from, from the generalization um, mm-hmm. of, of poverty and looking more at the specifics. So an, another kind of recognition that I had in the process of that transition was that, you know, when you look at scripture, the way that the, the terms that are used for the poor in scripture are often relational terms, you know. So it's the mm. widow and the orphan and the foreigner um, mm. who who are who characterize those on the margins in in scripture. And that helped me to get a sense of the the fact that, oh, so this is primarily primarily relational. And so asking ourselves, well, who are the widow and the orphan and the foreigner in our context, you know, oh. what what does that kind of paradigm Show us, you know, and and so I think that takes different forms here. So obviously, refugees are particularly, clearly those who who've come as foreigners, who have been pushed, to, you know, to the margins in their own culture, come here are people that that God would want us to be involved with, uh, but also the the seniors in our our communities who are isolated and. May have sufficient income to be living okay, but but deal with huge social iso- isolation issues. Mm-hmm. They, particularly over the last year and a half, we've mm-hmm. we've seen mm-hmm. those kinds of those kinds of issues. And um, children and youth who are you know living in single parent households where they're where their parent has to, to work you know long uh, hours, often a couple of jobs to make ends meet. They function often like the orphans uh, within our culture. And so so those mm-hmm. kinds of, of paradigms have helped to ground what, you know, who the poor might be in, in our context here. Mm-hmm.
2: That's that's really beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that because it, um, it helps us to think about the individual. I really resonate with your saying we're moving away from these labels that result in more shame and looking more at the individual and the individual's story so thank you for that Mm -hmm.
1: so to our listeners even at this early point in this conversation we would love to hear from you if you have any questions about anything that dave has shared so far if you want to learn more about iTeams or true city we invite you to email us at podcast at fhcanada.org so that we can continue that conversation together Dave, I know that a part of your role is engaging with churches and helping churches to to engage uh, mm-hmm. with yes. the work of walking alongside these populations that you're referring to right now. Maybe what are some examples that you see currently of, and especially in our current season of of being in the pandemic, how are you seeing this take place? How are you seeing churches engage in this area?
0: Yeah, so maybe to... Step back and say so this network of churches that that you know I've had the privilege to get to work with here in Hamilton really came together um, around this idea that we as the church are called to be involved with the the culture around us, the city around us. You know, what's what's God's heart for the city? You know, verse in Jeremiah that talks about, you know, seeking the peace of the city, and that our peace lies in in the Peace of the City was very catalytic for for this group of churches to go, well, so, you know, what's it look like to, to, to do that? And, and coming to this idea of being churches together for the good of our city uh, and and asking the question, what's the good of our city look like, led us to some of the, those uh, ideas of, well, each of our churches has a has a particular gift, a particular way of being involved uh, in in the different neighborhoods we're in. But then, learning from each other, finding ways to collaborate with each other, you know, work among refugees has been a fairly consistent um, way in which these churches have been involved, and and. You know, so there's there's a new initiative in in Hamilton called Open Homes Hamilton that um, my wife is part of uh, helping to to get started. There's a group of folks that are are working with churches to to identify people who have extra room in their homes um, who can have a refugee claimant come to stay with them for a few months when they first get to to the city because. Not as much during the pandemic, but certainly in the the year or two going um, before the pandemic, there were more claimants coming to the city than could be easily housed in in some of the the shelters that were specifically for refugee claimants. And so Mm -hmm. finding uh, alternative housing opportunities and, Mm -hmm. and bringing a community of people around those those refugee claimants when they get here to help them get situated uh, and and to do the work that needs to be done for for them to make their their refugee claims that churches were able to to find volunteers people who had extra room in their home people who were willing to walk with people to appointments um, uh, and uh, and just for them to get to know the city uh, mm. so. So that's a way that, that, you know, multiple churches can be collaborating uh, around a specific, a -hmm. specific issue. Um, Another, um, another story that, that is a more recent uh, story. One of the churches in downtown Hamilton uh, has often had issues around um, those uh, who, who are are homeless living uh, or are sleeping on the stairs of their church and, and struggled with how best to respond to that. That's become quite, uh, you know, a, a more significant issue through this time of the of the pandemic. Mm. But, you know, one story that I heard from uh, one of the people on staff there that was quite powerful for me was that that she was interacting with some of those people living on uh, on the steps and. Uh, one of the young women that was there was someone that had been in one of her youth groups, you know, a few years earlier. Wow. And, and just that experience of that person having a name and being mm. someone that, that she knew really was part of changing the dynamic of, of how they as a church were responding. And one of the other people on staff was just asking the question, what might God have for us as a church mm. in this situation? Uh, mm-hmm. I think those are the kinds of questions that we really want to see churches asking and asking together. Is is you know what what how is how does God want to challenge us and change us and transform us by these kinds of of interactions, as opposed to us seeing ourselves as the heroes in these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, what if we recognize God as the hero and just see where he's leading us and and follow in uh, with, with what he's wanting to do um, for those who his heart is particularly leaning towards, those who are on the margins?
2: Yeah, that's powerful. And Dave, just want to clarify, make sure that I'm understanding this correctly, the True City Church Network, so in a situation like that, that church would not be responding to issues of homelessness by themselves? It would be the the group of churches coming together and collaborating in response to these kind of circumstances?
0: Ideally, that would be—so in this particular situation, that's not been the case right now. It's it, it's just that church, though that church is working closely with some of the other social service uh, agencies in the mm-hmm. city. They've opened up some space that they have and and allowed— some of the medical personnel to create a uh, what they call the hub, which is a, a, a place where people during the winter months, especially could could stay be, uh, waiting for the shelters to open up in the evening. Mm. So they, as a church have gone above and beyond. you know, I think what we would hope to see happen, um, what we work to see happen is that that multiple churches, when they learn about that, can collaborate with that, you know, can be involved. Either by joining, you know, in this case, it's Philpott Memorial Church that's doing that, you know, either by joining Philpott in what they're doing or by doing something similar in their own context. You know? and, mm-hmm. and I think that's been the way in which these kinds of, uh, the way that churches have worked together is sometimes by actually doing a project together. But more often by learning from the example of one church in one context and taking what what's happening there and and saying, well, what could we do in our context? You know, what's mm. what's God calling us to in in the place where we are, uh, and and kind of having a variation on that theme. Mm-hmm.
2: So maybe just expanding on that a little bit, what fruit have you seen from churches working together mm. in responding to those on the margins?
0: Yeah, well I, I think that one of the things is just uh, understanding the nature that you know marginalization poverty is taking in our context so being able to to recognize some of the the specific areas so you know talked about refugees you know talked about some of the homeless population but but also you know, significant issues around mental health, you know, how do we as churches walk with those who are experiencing mental health challenges, um, both within our congregations and in the broader community, you know, some, some of the youth in, in our, our city that, you know, are, are facing challenges because of, of home life and how do churches collaborate, you know, some around that. So some, some ways that youth groups and youth ministries are, are working together, you know, Indigenous justice, I think, has been another area that we've recognized. Uh, um, we're not too far from the Six Nations Reserve. There's a significant urban Aboriginal population, in in Hamilton, we're only just beginning to understand as churches how what does it look like to be people of peace uh, in those kinds mm-hmm. of relationships. How do we how do we even establish relationship uh, given? the role that the church has too often had in, in those places. What does it, what does it look like for us? Yeah. To, to be advocates, um, to, to be friends to those who've, who've experienced um, those kinds of challenges. So, so just Mm -hmm. being able to name some of those, Mm -hmm. those challenges, you know, uh, environmental stewardship would be another, another one of those kinds of of things that I share an office with folks from Arasha. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh I'm aware of, yeah, just the, the, the beautiful ways that they're uh, helping us as the church to, to engage uh, with the environment. And so, once we understand some of the nature of those those situations, then how we can ask churches, well, which of these areas are you already doing something in? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, pastors are unaware of the ways in which people within their congregations are already engaging um in in those things and it's Hmm. it's a lot about listening and and recognizing who's already engaged in that helping those people to to make the link between something they're passionate about and what it what how that is an overflow of of the work of the gospel in their lives and and that that motivates them you know maybe one simple example is is you know we've seen churches uh, volu- you know uh, volunteering in local schools, you know to do tutoring, to support teachers yeah you know, to to help um, with after school programs mm. or sports programs. you know there's numerous ways that that churches have been able to come alongside of of a school in a context where there is a lot of challenges for 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 the children and. And enrich what's happening in that, that school context.
1: Hmm. I'm encouraged hearing you talk about this, Dave, because it sounds like there's a real sense of, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like thoughtfulness and, and preparedness and in preparing for for the doing part of these ministries, there's a lot of listening and a lot of reflecting on what are the actual needs here, what are the the dynamics at play, um, mm-hmm. you know, speaking particularly about the indigenous justice uh, topic, you know, there's so much history there, there's so much ongoing um, systemic, there's just so much to be aware of even in this moment. And so I appreciate that you're speaking about this real posture of taking the time to listen, to learn, um, which is very much in line with with Food for the Hungry's mm-hmm. um, approach to to working with and walking with communities, it it starts out with really just listening first, uh, which is such a valuable, valuable Mm -hmm. part of this conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. Dave, I'm curious from your perspective, and I know that I have a bit of a a cheat sheet here of topics to ask you about, but I know that you kind of hold this, this view that it is really um, a crucial part of the spiritual health of Christians um, to be in relationship with those who are experiencing material poverty or, or uh, the various forms of poverty we've been discussing. Why do you hold that belief? Maybe where did that come from for you?
0: Yeah, well, I think that started for me, you know, well, probably even before the Philippines, but in the our, our time in the Philippines in particular, mm-hmm. you know, just, I saw the ways in which my faith grew by encountering the the poor and seeing their faith, their ability to trust God uh, in the midst of, of real life mm-hmm. challenge, you know, I I've never had to trust God in the the ways that I saw some of my Filipino brothers and sisters mm-hmm. trusting God for for His provision, and and you know, it's not. It's not the kind of of life that we wanted for them, but but within that life, they they could see God at work in ways that I've you know um, struggled to mm-hmm. to let God work you know, and, and so so I, I feel that that I've seen that continue here you mm-hmm. know when when the when the church finds ways to be involved with with those who've been shoved to the margins of our of our culture. It opens up our perspective on what's what's happening and how God's at work uh, in really important ways. That keeps us from uh, believing that everything we have is kind of our right, or you know, that mm-hmm. we've somehow earned all of that. To to recognize the the grace of God in in our lives, and and then to challenge us. You know, <laughs> my uh, friend in the Philippines, you know, would often say, "We don't." At at its root, we don't have a poverty problem. We have a greed problem in Mm. in in our culture, right? You know, in in the world, and and so I think uh, for that to get unmasked in us, for us Mm. to recognize that you know we're not going to solve poverty by um, throwing the scraps from our table, right? Like it's not it it's Mm -hmm. it's going to take some sacrificial living if we really care about that, and that's. We're only going to have a heart for that if we have relationships, you know, where we see the the way that that brokenness is bringing death to people in uh, around us, and and where we have a heart to see that that changed. So, so I feel like there's there's so much life um that mm. that God would would have us have for us in those relationships uh it doesn't come easily but mm. uh, and it's not neat and tidy uh, mm-hmm. but but I think that's that's where he calls calls the church to be and I think we get in trouble as the church when we refuse to go there mm.
2: and and I hear humility in that Dave that it requires all of us to humbly acknowledge that I'm I have brokenness in my relationships. I have brokenness within me. I am in need of reconciliation and healing. And and I and I I don't have all the answers. So that l- leveling of the playing field from that brokenness perspective to me is a huge part of this conversation. Mm-hmm. So that if we can come in with that humility and recognize that I have so much to learn from anyone that I encounter. So Thank you. Thank you for uh, pointing that out. We are coming close to the end of our time here, and I don't want to miss the opportunity to ask you, what kind of books or resources can you recommend for us and for our listeners?
0: Yeah, I think a couple, so kind of along the lines of what I was just talking about, I think um, Greg Paul is an author mm-hmm. who I mm. deeply appreciated. Who's, uh, so, uh, Greg's written a number of, of books. I think his first one, God in the Alley, you know, kind of gives a, a, a beautiful initial insight. Another one, The 20-Piece Shuffle, talks about why the rich and the poor need each other, uh, so, so Greg writing out of his experience at Sanctuary in Toronto has has some gives us a spirituality um, for for how um, uh, God is at work in those those places.
2: I um, actually had the opportunity to attend Sanctuary and be yes. part of oh what a beautiful experience yes. that was.
0: Yeah, yeah no. I highly it's,
2: recommend it's, these books.
0: Yeah, and. I, yeah I I have found their their experience as a community has been very powerful um, um, and prophetic for mm-hmm. for us as churches um, in in the area uh, Ken Annan's book uh, slow kingdom coming uh, is another book the more recent book that that I think is kind of maybe builds on when helping hurts by giving, um, mm-hmm. some very, uh, good next step kinds of, of, ways forward. You know, what does it look like for us to practice you know, a way of life that uh, is seeking to pursue justice and, and, and show mercy. Uh, and, uh, so, so I'd yeah, recommend that as a, it's a good way of getting a handle on, well, what steps can we take both individually and as churches uh, in, in responding to the poverty around us.
1: Awesome. So to our listeners, we ask you, what are you leaving with from this episode today? I know that I have lots to chew on from this conversation with Dave, particularly reminded of the importance of seeing everything that we're talking about today through that relational lens. It's where we started this conversation. It feels appropriate to kind of wrap up on that note again. Yeah. It's a theme that keeps coming up in this podcast as we talk to so many wonderful guests. So I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by your words, Dave, to our listeners. I say what resonated with you and what could you start doing or stop doing as soon as today or tomorrow? Yeah. As you take what you, what you do from this conversation with Dave today.
2: So Dave Couple last uh, thoughts here. Anything else you want to add? And then also, where can our listeners find you if they're interested in learning more about iTeams or about True City Network?
0: Yeah, I, I feel like the paradigm. One of the things that the Lord's given to us here is a recognition that you know, when it comes to re- the relational side, that's something the church has in its DNA. You mm. know? so so there's a lot of really important you know work that gets done by social service agencies, by nonprofits, to that that are uh, crucial in in working at seeing uh, life-giving stuff happen for for those on the margins, for those who are poor. But what I feel like churches do particularly well is to come alongside of people without the power dynamic that goes into some of those other kinds of relationships, but to be able to befriend um, Mm -hmm. and walk with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, so, if we understand poverty to, at its root, be relational brokenness, the church is uniquely equipped to to respond to that relational reality, and and that's what I think. And and our um, our health as the church lies in that kind of of willingness to to walk alongside of those who are um, in in those kinds of broken situations. So so I, that feels like a, uh, a real gift to us as the mm. church and something mm. I'm, I'm really passionate about. Mm. So um, yeah. And you know, true city is, is specifically a, a Hamilton network. We would, we'd love to connect with other networks that are, are happening in, in other cities to compare mm-hmm. notes, to find ways to, to see that, that happening. So that's some of the role that that's evolving for me with international teams is, you know, sharing some of what we've learned you know in the 17 years we've been doing this work in in Hamilton um, and and finding ways to to work with and and strengthen networks that are finding ways to to be uh, a kingdom presence, uh, in their, their particular mm-hmm. context. So you can be in touch with me by, by email. That's probably the easiest way, um, mm-hmm. which is at iteams.ca. Uh, and you can, if you're interested in true city, there, there's a website, true truecity at true So those are right. probably the best ways.
2: Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your work. Thank you so much for your faithfulness in what you are doing in Hamilton and beyond. And thanks for being our guest today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: To explore what your next steps could be, or find out more about iTeams in True City and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org slash resources.